In the scriptures, we're told that we are in a battle. But not a battle we see with our eyes here in the realm of flesh and blood, but rather a spiritual battle, fighting alongside each other against an evil spiritual enemy. We are given clear commands on how we are to stand against the evil one, suiting up with the full armor of God so that we may be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Trinity Church, it is great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us on this 20th day of September. It was great. Hopefully, uh, like me, you were able to open up the windows today and finally, for the first time in a couple weeks, see some blue sky. So we're grateful for that, grateful for all the hard work of our firefighters and what they've been doing just so tirelessly over the last couple of weeks to get our area more secure, the fires knocked down, and we know that still, (coughs) excuse me, all over Southern California, Northern California, and up into Oregon and Washington, they are still struggling. It seems like the whole West Coast is on fire, so let's continue to be praying for those that are working so hard in those efforts. We're grateful to get to be here with you today. We begin a brand new series today, a series called Armed. And what we're looking at is we're looking at this spiritual battle. And what I love, I love this tagline, standing together in spiritual battle. You'll, we'll even talk about in just a moment today, even the ethos of this graphic and what it really de- uh, depicts in that it's a group of soldiers and not just one. And this word together was picked very uh, thoughtfully and um, strategically for our series, because that's really what this is, is that we are talking to you, the army, the body, the family of God. And uh, I'm excited to dive in today. And we'll tell you a little bit more of even our purpose and intent. If you have a Bible today, you can find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be at the end of Paul's letter to that church. If you have notes, you can uh, either pull those off the internet, or if you don't have notes, or you can look in our app. And I wanted to show you something in our app today that um, is something I'm excited about. We have been as a staff team trying to think of ways that we could be more creative and more helpful, just not knowing when we're going to be able to meet indoors again. And one of those things that was in my mind was to start a book club. Now, I shared this a little bit on Wednesday with our midweek video, and, and I was thinking of some different books, but then I was reminded that, hey, I had said a lot during our first Peter series that we need more Bible, less social media, less news media, and so it just kind of connected the dots. Some staff guys, Jared, had a great uh, kind of read through the parts of the Bible in 180 days, one chapter at a time, and so I thought that would just be a great win. So we've got a long title It says Todd's Book Club, Fall of 2020 on the website, but this is really the title of the group, Guided Tour of the Bible, a Reading and Discussion Group. That's a mouthful, but that's exactly what we're going to do. If you'd like to join us, we're going to meet on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Zoom, and just to be able to have a conversation, I'm not going to come and teach another message, but I want to have a great dialogue from what you've read over that week together. A way that you can sign up today through the app is very simple. If you just go to the homepage and then go to connect, 
And under Connect, you'll note small groups are there. And under small groups, right in the middle, you'll see Todd's book club. So we'd love for you to join us. And we're just going to have a great time getting to read through selected parts of the Bible together, as well as to uh, then have a conversation, a discussion, a dialogue about them weekly from what we've read the week before. So you're welcome to join us. We look forward to having a great time weekly talking about the Word of God. that you were tracking with us, kind of noticed that we were working on it. Appreciate so much our teams that week in and week out are able to deliver our services online. And uh, we never notice until things go bad. And so we appreciate them. We've been at this mode of six months of online services, and I don't think ever had that significant of an issue. So we're grateful. Thank you guys and ladies who are working up there that just do a great job for us. I think the last thing I was sharing about was a book I'd like to recommend for the series. I'll probably, probably recommend more than one, but at least for the front edge of our series, especially this incredible classic from C.S. Lewis called Screwtape, The Screwtape Letters. In it, it's written from a mentor uh, demon to an apprentice demon about basically how to distract, how to keep either people from coming to know Christ or from following and living for Him. And so it's a great read. I realize looking at the original date, it's almost 80 years old. But as you read of the issues that these demons are talking about, you'll see that nothing has changed. So I'd love to encourage you uh, to dial in with us on that. Um, Let me give you a brief overview of why we're doing this series and what's kind of been the motivation uh, behind it. It's easy to confuse in these incredibly challenging days. It's easy to confuse who the real enemy is. Is it the government? Is it opposing political parties? Is it the protesters? Is it the police? Is it the person in my church who sees any one of these issues differently than I do? These are all the things that I think we have been duped into beginning to believe, but the Bible is clear. We are not each other's enemies. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we would expand that idea not only to those who make up Jesus' body, the church, but any human being is ultimately not the enemy because every one of us is made in the image of God, deeply valued, deeply loved by God, and is redeemable until their last dying breath. So those people are not the enemies, and we need to look one step behind and ask the question, so then who is our enemy? None other than God's enemy, Satan himself, who is out to steal, kill, and destroy what God loves most, you, people. Being the children of God means that we're an army armed by our Father to stand against the attacks of the enemy together. That's a key word that we're going to see a lot today. Today, as we dive into this passage, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul introduces the Ephesian Christians to the concept of spiritual battle and tells them who their enemy really is. And here's another reminder, it's not each other. Here's our now what statement for today. 
As you're empowered by God, stand, and there's that word again, together in community against our true enemy and not each other. If you're following in our notes today, number one, this passage is written to a battalion, not to you as an individual soldier. This passage is written to a battalion, not to you as an individual soldier. We'll see why that's so important. We begin in Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally. I don't think I've ever given you a point that's been based on one word from a verse, but I want to back up and I want to see something incredibly important. My very first preaching series that was going on four years ago right now was through the book of Ephesians. That was the first thing we did together in my new role here as lead pastor at Trinity. And as we got to the end of the book, we got to this this whole aspect of spiritual battle. But as I was rereading and, and reconsidering these, this set of verses that really do, it's, it's Paul's point, finally, this is how I'm ending this book to you, this letter to you. One thing I didn't realize then that has become just really just powerful to me, it's in stereo, is this idea that we can easily westernize not only this passage, but the entire Bible and begin to individualize everything in this passage to think it means about me specifically or me individually. But this passage, as we're going to see today, is written to us all. It's going to use a second-person plural verbs. As we go through our passage, as we go through these next 10 weeks together, every single verb that you're going to see related to God's army is never an individual you, but always a plural y'all. Okay, we lose that, right? In our English language, you and you is the same word for you individually or you plurally. But who wouldn't have missed that idea is Paul's original audience. They had two very different words for you as an individual or you as a group, as a collective, and that's what every verbal tense, verbal voice in Ephesians 6 at the end of this passage will be is to you all, to us all, and and that's what's really going to be important that we read this passage in light of the fact that it's written to a battalion, not an individual soldier. Why do I make so much about that out of the gates from the very beginning? It's because that's usually how it's represented. I know even if, when I look back at even that uh, series four years ago, that's most likely how I taught it was to you individually, you need to make sure that you're putting on this armor of God. But it's written to us all because we're all called to be a part of this battle, to be a part of this, uh, this war. And so as we see that, this is going to be significant. Now, I want you to take a look at this. You'll maybe see why this has uh, become such an issue or why it's so prevalent. And, and you'll notice a theme. I did a Google search and just typed in the space bar, spiritual armor preaching series. And these were some of the images that came up. And you'll start to see a theme as you go through these that they all have something very much in common. The first three are funny because they look a lot more like medieval armor than what Paul would have been writing about. He at least wrote about an armor that looked like this. And I love this. This is like a dad wearing a tie and suspenders putting on this armor. But again, note what we're seeing is an individual every single time. And when I looked through all, I did a Google search of images, I couldn't find a single image that's like ours. 
And I don't say that in any boastful way. I just simply say this passage is usually taught to you individually, not to you all as an army. And it's very important as we dive into this series that we see that from the very beginning. Paul's intent is that we all would be armed and engaging in spiritual battle, not just written to you as a soldier all by yourself. You never go to war alone. We go together. Now, another thing I want to be sure to do, though, and I want you to look at this image, I would hate for us to make another mistake, a similar kind of mistake, and that was to think that who we think are the warriors, the army of God, are all uh, kind of, you know, 30s white males. That, that would not be the case at all either, and nothing that I want to uh, continue to portray that image as well. I was thinking about who has been leading you today via our worship team as well as our production team, those who make it available for you to see this service both online and out on the lawn at 7 o'clock on Sunday nights. And I want you to think about that team, and I want you to realize even the diversity that you've seen on this stage and who's working behind the scenes today. When you think of them, number one, they're not all white. There is a great cultural diversity in those teams that represent the reality of Trinity Church. Secondly, they're not all the same age. We've had young adults on this stage. We have those who are working on our production teams, believe it or not, that are even older than me. And that wide range, I wouldn't want you to think that there's just a singular kind of age group that represent who the army is at Trinity Church. Also, they're not all men. As as you've seen on our stage today, as you know in our production team, we have women who are serving in these roles as well, just like representative of the reality of Trinity Church. So the best graphic, and I love the graphic that Chris Petnack found for our series because it really represents a, a, a group, an army going to battle, but the very best graphic would have been one that had men and women, that would have had uh, young and old that would have had people from every tribe, tongue, and nation represented, because that is not only indicative of Trinity Church, that's true of Jesus's big C church. Here in Southern California and around the world, those are his warriors. That is the army. So let's make sure we get this right from the very beginning. The army being armored is a diverse, globally represented community who have in common the most important attribute of all, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And what we've said, and this idea of going to battle together or doing it in community is so important to us, the togetherness, it's actually one of our six core values here at Trinity Church. See this again. we We pursue spiritual growth and life change. How? Not as individuals, not as lone rangers, but in community. In community is how we do that, and that's what is really the stuff of this series and what we want to make sure that you hear from the very beginning. This series is addressed to us all, not to you individually, not to me individually, but us, the army of God. Number two in our notes today, God is both the source of your military strength as well as your armor. God is both the source of your military strength as well as your armor. Now, moving on, Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God. 
These are verses that might be relatively well known to you. And again, both of them, the verbs at the beginning are yaal verbs. They're written to everyone, to a group of people. The first, however, is a passive verb indicating that it means to be strengthened. It doesn't say be strong like you already are, but you are dependent upon. You need the Lord to strengthen you. So it's a passive you all verb, be strengthened in the Lord and in His mighty power, recognizing that it is God Himself who equips and who strengthens and who empowers us for battle. And this understanding that God is the source of your strength when engaging in spiritual battle is incredibly significant. Look why in your notes. We understand from the beginning that the resources that we have are inadequate. The resources you and I have as just simple human beings are inadequate to be effective in this kind of warfare. That's super important from the beginning because it connects the dot to our reliance upon the Spirit of God, our reliance upon God to empower, to equip, to strengthen us to really be ready for battle. Anything less than that is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's not going to work, it's not going to be effective, and you're not going to be as equipped as you are needing to be. The second verb that we just read is an imperative verb, again, second person plural, that is a practical application of the first. When it says to be empowered, to be equipped by God, be strengthened by Him, well then how do you actually do that? You just sit on the couch and, and say, God, please equip me. Well, there is an active role to it. It might not be all this and only this, but one piece of being equipped or in strengthened by God, is that you would actively, and that's the verbal voice, put on or literally clothing yourself with the armor of God. This verb is the same verb, if you remember, I don't know if you, anyone remembers a series four years ago, but earlier in chapter four of Ephesians, it says that they are, this church is to put on the new self, to clothe themselves with the new self once they have disrobed the old self. It's the same verb, to put on, literally means to clothe. And what's so especially significant is that Paul advises his readers from the outset to not dare go into battle with anything less than the full, put on the full armor of God. And that just makes so much sense when you stop and think about it. What thoughtful, wise soldier would ever go into battle with every piece of armament except his or her helmet, except his or her shield, except his or her shoes. These are just a few of the different uh, uh, aspects of armor that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. So even though you might have everything else, you would never go missing one of these pieces. They're all essential. They're all absolutely necessary. So we'll spend some more time on this thought in the coming weeks, but I want to move us on to our final point today because we're going to spend some time here. Number three in your notes, as in any kind of warfare, it's essential that you know your objective and your enemy. It's essential in any kind of warfare that you know your objective, what are we trying to do, and that you know who your enemy is. Look at this last part of Ephesians 6 to 11 today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? And this is one of those purpose statements that you know I get pretty geeked up about, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that. What's the purpose anyway of being strengthened by God, of being equipped by God wearing this armor, is that so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
So I want to look at both these ideas, this objective and then who the enemy is. This phrase of so that you can take your stand is all throughout this last part of Ephesians 6. And for many of us, that phrase is confusing or at least unknown. What, what would be the point in military of taking a stand? I thought the point was to win. And that would be the objective, to take something from the enemy, not just to simply stand there. So I began as I was working on my study, thinking through the English word to stand and looking at some of its military uses. And it can mean things like to occupy or to besiege or to subjugate. Or, or is it really this word meaning something different? Remember, the New Testament was originally written in the language of Greek, so we always go back to that Greek study. And in looking at this word in the original language, it's really fascinating. It describes what a wrestler would do, a Greco-Roman wrestler 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is, is wrestling 2,000 years ago was actually not what it is today, where it's all about pinning your opponent and getting points for various different moves or holds. It was actually very simple, and you know me, I'm a pretty simple guy. It came down to really two objectives. Number one, it came down to being standing. It's just the one who stays standing wins. And, and how does that work? Well, it means that in a, in a match, in a wrestling match, they needed to throw their opponent to the ground three times while not going down to the ground as well. So whoever did that, th the first to get to three won the match. Now, that's powerful when we understand that usage of the word. Roman soldiers, by the, way, by the way, though this might not have been so much a military term, they definitely would have understood what, what wrestling was because that's a lot of what they would do in their spare time and what just people in the culture, it was a very popular thing that people would gather around those who would wrestle. But it came down to those two things, to stand your ground and to throw your opponent to the ground three times, that would help you to win the match. So when you see that, the goal of wrestling was to stay on your feet, was to stay standing. And so these concepts are not contradictory, but complementary, that of staying standing and seeing your enemy go down. Both phrases mean the same thing. We wrestle wicked forces, and as we do that, we are to stand our feet while we throw our foe to the ground. And like we've said earlier, we don't throw them to the ground because of how great we are and how gifted we are and how wonderful we are as human beings. Every type of armament we've talked about today or that we'll see in this series goes back to what God gives us as spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. This also reminds us of something really important I want you to note. In your notes, we aren't watching a wrestling match, but we're engaged in one. We are not spectators uh, to the spiritual battle, but participants. It's really important that you grab that from the very beginning today as we begin this series, that spiritual battle is not for other people. Spiritual battle is not for other types of Christians. Spiritual battle, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, was written to y'all. Just like he writes it to us today, it's written to us all. You are a part of this spiritual dynamic, whether you know it or not. And the reality is you are called not to spectate, not to simply watch it. By nature, as a soldier, you're in it. You're a participant, not a spectator. And that's really huge for those of us who'd want to say, well, Todd, I just don't want to be involved. That's something we don't get to choose. It's the nature of the reality of the fact that there is this sworn enemy we're going to look at in a minute who is coming after our leader, 
our God, our Father. So let's, if that's what our objective is, is to stand this wrestling motif that we don't go to the ground, but we put our enemy there, then who exactly then is that enemy? And verse 12 said it clearly when it said the devil's schemes. The Greek word diabolos uh, literally means the slanderer. Process that for a minute. It means the slanderer. And listen to more of the robust definition. A false accuser, someone who is unjustly criticizing to hurt, malign, and condemn to sever a relationship. That was very, very specific, very powerful. We'll unpack that in a minute, but just try to process that for a second. A false accuser, so someone who has the premise wrong, it's not a true statement, unjustly criticizing to hurt, malign, and condemn with the purpose of severing a relationship. Let's first look, though, at some of the titles that Paul chose not to use. We'll unpack that in a second, but there's a few things that Paul chose not to use to describe our enemy. Our enemy. First off, he didn't say that it was Lucifer. Lucifer is the name of the angelic being that rose in pride against the one true God and as a result was condemned. He didn't use the phrase or the term the tempter, which is another word we see in Scripture, one who solicits us, who calls us to sin against a holy God. He also doesn't use the phrase Satan, which I would have thought would have been the one that made the most sense because it literally means, Satan literally means the adversary, the enemy, indeed, the one that we are opposed to. But he uses this phrase, the devil, the slanderer, the one who falsely accuses, who unjustly criticizes with the intent of severing relationships. There's something to that because of the wide array of words that Paul could have chosen to use, but he chooses this one. So who is the slanderer trying to unjustly criticize, and what relationship is he trying to sever? But it's pretty simple. He's out to slander you, out to slander you as a child of God, and, and to believe even though by nature you are a son or a daughter of the king, to cause you to believe at some point that you are not fitting, that you are not able to have that relationship that you have been cut from your one true father. That's what he's after. That's his goal. And that's why I want you to see today the words, maybe Paul was having this in mind when he wrote these powerful words from Romans chapter 8. Look at how it begins. Therefore, at the sum of all these things, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look what it goes on to say. And we've got a wonderful thing there. I'm going to have to read uh, from my notes. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Look at that word. Who will bring any charge? Who will slander? Who will be that one who criticizes? It says it is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God who is also interceding for us. Look what it goes on to say. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. Look at all these things, angels or demons, nor any powers. Those will be really key words that we look at next week together. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to sever, to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Man, what powerful words. If you're here today and you're feeling the attack of the slanderer, if you're sensing that you have maybe outsinned the grace of God, if you're feeling so distant from the Father that you're even wondering if He knows your name anymore, let me tell you, those are seeds of thought planted by your enemy, by the slanderer, not by God, not by His Spirit. And so the reality is, as we see that today, Romans 8 reminds us, nobody condemns the people of God because Jesus was condemned in our place. So as a result, we are rightly in relationship with Him. But here's an interesting question. What if the slanderer is not only out to make you feel as though you are severed from your relationship with your heavenly Father, but also from your brothers and sisters? So not only in a vertical set of relationships, but what about horizontally? Does the slanderer go after those relationships as well? making one feel as though they can't belong to the family of God, even if they feel rightly aligned to the Father. That's one of the outcomes of his schemes, which we'll look more at next week. And you'll see this according to this particular commentator. Look what it says. This is uh, from the Ephesians uh, commentator from the Bible Expositors commentary series. He is a master, talking about the slanderer, he is a master of ingenious stratagems, and his tactics must not be allowed to catch us unawares. In the context of Ephesians, the devil's schemes are more likely to have been deliberate attempts, watch, to destroy the unity of Christ's body. That's what the attempt was about, not necessarily that they would feel a lack of connection or, or relationship to the Father, but the problem that was horizontal, to create disunity in Christ's body through the invasion of false doctrines and the fomenting of dissension. These were the tactics that this commentator says as you read through the letter to the Ephesians, this is what appears to be really his strategy. So it's powerful to think about this book written over 2,000 years ago and what were the issues, what were the things at stake? The reality is they haven't changed all that much. From what we've seen already today and what we'll see more of next week, I want to make again the unequivocal statement that we are not each other's enemies. Biblically speaking, there's no place that we would ever find that truth. And not only that, but Jesus prayed for, and the early church modeled. And Paul wrote just a couple chapters earlier in Ephesians 4 that our unity is essential. It's not something that would be nice if we had it. It's absolutely essential to who we are, and that we are to make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So look in your notes. This is powerful to me. It's not as though we need to derive or create unity within our body, within this local church, within this framework. It's not as though we have to try to derive what is it that pulls us together, that draws us together. Instead, we are only called to preserve it because our unity is found not in an idea, not in some membership to something. It's simply found in the person of Jesus Christ. Like we said earlier today, he's the most important common denominator that we have together. That's the issue, and that's what our calling is. So Paul was very specific as to how to preserve that unity, meaning that's a, a great statement in Ephesians 4, 3 to say, but the verse before tells us actually how to do that. Paul writes, be completely humble and gentle. These are imperative verbs, and they're written again to y'all. 
This is for all of us. We are to be a people completely humble and gentle. Think about those words. Think about the meaning of what that looks like in action in your life. We are to be a people who are patient, and not just who love each other, bearing with one another in love. I read these words at the beginning of our um, annual congregational meeting in late June. We had to do it over Zoom. It was a crazy way of holding a meeting, but thus, in the corona season that we're in, or the uh, COVID season, this is what we had to do. And in that, I'll never forget, I just was prompted by the Lord to think that what we'd already been through up until from March to June was challenging, but just sensing that there was more to come of that potential for disunity. And that meeting was very sweet. There was a great ethos and environment online, which is a weird thing to say. You should say in the room. But within that, I was thinking back to these words and realizing how later on, how even in the months of July and August and now September, these words are so imperative to us being a people who will make every effort. This is what making every effort looks like being completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So simple question today, why is that so hard? It'd be pretty easy if it was, hey, just do this, right? Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he writes to us, just, just be these four things. And the reality is, is that we have a lot of pride, a lot of flesh that pushes against those types of responses to one another. And even before all the COVID controversies that we faced, there was this, it was still a very challenging reality, mostly because it seems we default to wanting conformity that leads to division rather than unity. What do I mean by that? I have an illustration that I remember I've heard a long time ago. I thought this might connect the dot for us today. Once there was a guy on a bridge about to jump. The passerby said, hey, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me, the guy on the bridge. The other said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. The other said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. The other said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. And the other said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. And the other said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. And the other said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. And the other said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. And the other said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879. Or Northern, Bap Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the man on the bridge said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the other said, die, heretic, and he pushed him off the bridge. Now that can be funny because we're not Baptists, or some of us not anymore. But we would be absolutely foolish to think that disunity is for something for other churches out there and not something that we experience here at Trinity. In this season of such great angst and suspicion related to the issues that we're experiencing in our culture, these issues divide not only in our workplace, not only in our extended family, not only on social media, but sadly enough, right here among us, Jesus' church as well. 
As I think of this series and the military kind of ethos of it all, I can't help but think of Pat Tillman. You might remember, if I can get my slide to move, you might remember the story of Pat Tillman, an incredible football player uh, in college at the University of Arizona State and then on the Arizona Cardinals team. But when 9-11 happened, he uh, absolutely stepped aside from a profitable football career and and, and joined the Army and became an Army Ranger. And it would be later in 2004 that he would actually die in battle, but sadly enough, not at the warfare, not at the enemy fire, but at friendly fire, where mistakenly one of his own Army Rangers shot and killed him. And I think about this idea and the incredible sadness that we as a country felt not only for Pat Tillman and other soldiers to die abroad, but especially in that lens of something that didn't have to happen that way, something that should have been avoided that we would not shoot our own. And I think of this season that we're in, it's like that when we treat each other adversarially. Simple question, can we make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, even if we don't agree? Even if we don't agree on which presidential candidate to vote for? Even if we don't agree on whether or not we should wear a mask or not? Even if we don't agree on if the church should be meeting indoors or stay out? Even if we don't agree on how we ought to respond to the racial tensions in our community and in our country? Even if we don't agree on every leadership decision that I and the elders and the pastoral staff at Trinity Church make? Is there a way that we can continue to maintain the spirit of the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, even if we don't agree on all of those things. You see, we are facing a unity crisis at Trinity Church. And my simple offer is this today. If you are struggling to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace because of something that I've done or said, I would absolutely invite you to sit down with me face to face and let's talk about it. Let's talk about a way that we can get to a point where we can actually maintain our unity. And I would say that thing is absolutely true of anyone else. If you would say, I'm so struggling maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because of what this person did or said, can I encourage you to incur the words from Matthew 18 and go to them, just them, and talk one-on-one with the goal of resolving and the goal of maintaining the unity that we are so explicitly called to keep. This would be my hope, that we would not succumb to the slanderer's schemes or fail to engage our commander with our need for his strength and armor so that we can preserve the unity that's ours by the common spirit that we share. Here's today's now what statement. We're going to do things a little bit different today. Let me read it again. As you're empowered by God, stand together in community against our true enemy and not each other. What we're going to do throughout this series at the end of each message is we're going to give you some time. One of the the biggest aspects of our military outfitting is that of our communication, our prayer. 
And Paul's going to direct us to do that at the end of our series, but we didn't want to wait to the end. We want to give you some moments at the end of every message to spend some time with the people that you're with praying about this, praying about this now what idea, and praying, God, how can we embrace, how can we apply this truth to our lives this week? So what you're going to see in just a moment is you're going to see this now what statement full screen on whatever device you're watching. And I would encourage you with whoever you're with, take a few moments to pray together that this would be your heartbeat. This would be your active next step this week and pray about this now what statement being your now what moving forward. The band's going to be playing underneath. You'll hear that, but they'll call you back together with one final song that we'll finish with today.